you are now tuned in to Cup of Grind with Jada D. This is your daily dose of what's real in entrepreneurship. This podcast is intended for the new business owner, the person with a really good idea but not sure where to begin, and that person working at a job dreaming of the day that they can work for themselves. It's grind time. My guest today is someone that I would like to call a secret weapon. She is the woman with the plan. She really held it down and helped to really make things happen for my newest venture, the Auntie Roundtable. I'm speaking of none other than Ashley Williams of GJC Publicity. She is a storyteller specializing in multimedia narratives. Ashley Williams has been telling stories to business, philanthropic, minority, and academic audiences for a decade. Simply put, writing is her passion. With a bachelor's from Spelman College and a master's from Northwestern University, Ashley is a journalist by trade. Just before venturing out on her own, she served as an editorial director of two B2B magazines. I don't want to tell her story. I really want her to tell her own story. So make sure you stay tuned, listen to the entire episode, and hear her story and how she made things happen with GJC Publicity. Check it out. I am here with my girl, Ashley Williams. How are you? Hi, girl. Hey, I'm good. Good. You know, you and I have had a lot of engagement over the last few months as we worked on my newest passion project, the Auntie Roundtable. So I hope that people are able to take from my conversation and really learn and find out what they need from you and ultimately hire you. That's the goal for me today. <laughs> yes, please. And thank you. So in the intro of the podcast, I told our listeners a little bit about you, but I wanted you to dive deeper and to be in control of your own narrative and to tell your own story. So I know that you recently returned to our hometown of Memphis. Whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop. So when did you originally leave Memphis? Did you leave for college? I did. My first time leaving was to go to Spelman in Atlanta for college. Okay. And did you stay in Atlanta? I did not. That's when we start moving around a bit. Um, I left uh, right after college and moved to Chicago to do a teaching fellowship. Ended up drinking the Kool-Aid, stayed there to get my master's uh, in Northwestern. After that, landed a job. Um, and so I stayed in Chicago the longest I would say in my adult life. I want to say six years. Uh, then moved to Seattle and then moved back to Memphis. So in your time in Chicago, you you were teaching at some point? I was teaching. I did a year at Urban Prep Charter Academies, which is the all-black uh, male high school that's got a lot of notoriety for um, 100% graduation and college acceptance. They've been on Oprah. Uh, they have three campuses now. Um, yeah, so I was an inaugural teaching fellow with them, which basically meant half mentor, half uh, I taught one class, a humanities course. So crazy experience. It was like a mini Morehouse, which I had been used to um, in college, uh, but definitely super dope experience. So why didn't you continue teaching? The plan was always to become a journalist, actually. The irony is I come from a family of educators. My mom is in education. My grandmother is in education. And so kind of always knew I didn't want to do that. Just the rebel in me didn't want to 
continue, continue on that path. Um, so I'd actually already, yeah, I'd actually already been accepted into journalism school when I started the fellowship. So that was for sure happening. So you got your master's in journalism? Yes, because as some may or may not know, Spelman is a liberal arts institution to the T. So our majors are very broad. So I was an English major, which is all fine and dandy until you try to transfer that into a portfolio or an eclipse. Um, so I knew I needed to go back to journalism school to get that formal writing experience and actually have something to be able to show people when I interviewed. Gotcha. I understand. So have you always been a person that wanted to be behind the camera or were you, you know, initially thinking about being in front of the camera? Always wanted to be behind. I get that question all the time. People still ask me to this day. Never wanted to do broadcast broadcast journalism. Um, I actually went on the magazine track because I found it. I do like longer form writing um, and what people, I guess, would call more feature writing. I'm not necessarily a hard news reporter, um, but definitely always wanted to be behind the scenes that still carries through and how I, and the services I offer clients from PR to marketing, um, to book editing, you know, everybody, the questions I get all the time are like, why don't you write your own book? Or why aren't you on channel five? Or why, uh, is your, so why are you not a social media influencer? And it's like my, my sweet sauce is doing all of that for other people. But you know, that still means you got a book in you, right? Yeah, you know, that, that, that is, it's somewhere on the horizon, not immediate, <laughs> not immediate for sure. But okay. So, all right. So you, you did that. You were in Chicago, Seattle. How'd you end up? What, what was Seattle? What was that? Okay. So Seattle was a total, I can't call it a midlife crisis. Cause I was only 27, I think. Um, but it definitely was this need to shift gears. The company I worked for in Chicago, um, which I'll get back to this full circle moment, was a business to business publisher for three magazines <laughs> that served the plumbing industry. And so people are like, plumbing? They have magazines for that? Um, yes, they do. And it was one for engineers, one for contractors, and one for like the wholesalers and distributors that manage a project. Um, very male centric, uh, not diverse, uh, very technical. And I found myself, I moved up very quickly though. When I was getting ready to leave, I was editorial director, which is the equivalent of editor in chief for two of their magazines. Um, I'd redone all their social media. Um, and with all of that kind of leadership responsibility that I took on, as well as learning about it, media innovation and business strategy and how that all connects to advertising and sales. I still felt like as a 27 year old young black girl, I wasn't, I wasn't learning. I felt like I was doing all of the um, teaching and exposing and ideating. And I just felt too young to be in that position. So I wanted to basically start over. Um, okay. And Seattle for me was a total shake up. I don't have any family in Seattle, any friends. It was a whole nother side of the country I'd never been to. And I decided I was going to move there and I was going to go into PR. Um, yeah, that's how we, that's how we got to Seattle. I don't know. I'm sure this question is coming later, but then my company was actually born in Seattle. Yeah. So take us. Okay. So your company, um, is GJC publicity. 
What's the meaning behind it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's an homage to the women in my family. Um, I knew I could have eased. I knew I wanted to be something to do with family. Um, and anybody who knows me will probably joke that I'm a feminist, which is probably not hard to tell, you know, with the Spellman in me. Um, but I did it as much as I could have taken my last name, Williams, that would have, you know, passed on a male neck legacy and I want to pass on a female legacy. So it's an homage to three of the most influential women in my life. So the G is for my paternal grandmother, Gladys. The J is for my maternal grandmother, Jacqueline. And the C is for my mom, Cheryl. Um, and then I just tacked on publicity at the end to try to bring it all full circle, but all the company's colors are their birthstones. Um, so yeah, it's a nice little wow. moment. I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. I think that, um, I love things that, you know, have a story and a meaning behind it. I think that's really important. Um, as you know, as a, ultimately you are a storyteller. So I think that's really important. I love that. So you started your business in Seattle, but like, were you working full time while you were launching your business or did you just go ahead and dive deep, like, and take a leap? Took that leap. Let's talk about yes, it. Let's so talk about it. this is, uh, almost three years ago. This is, um, November, 2016. And so I'd been there maybe been in Seattle maybe three months, two months, and hit the ground running when I got there. I felt like I used, uh, you know how you get to a place in your career where you're not just, you have learned not to just uh, cold call or cold submit resumes. You've learned to try to, you know, use relationships. I felt like I was doing that to the max. I was landing interviews, um, largely a lot of the relationships and communications that I had in uh, Chicago. And I was getting to all these final round interviews with these PR firms, but I wasn't landing gigs. Simultaneously, a lot of people in those same networks that I was asking for like emails and phone numbers and help me land this would be like, oh, I don't have anything right now. Or, Mm -hmm. oh, I put some feelers out. Nobody's hiring. But can you help me with this press release? Or you know how to write. Can you help me with this uh, bio I need real quick? Um, so I was getting a lot of freelance work and still didn't even like, I don't even know. I probably was so naive about entrepreneurship at that time. I probably wasn't even <laughs> calling it freelance work. I probably literally was just saying I'm helping, helping my friend. Mm. Um, until finally, I think it probably was, um, I do a, a group call cause my family is pretty spread out. Uh, my brother, me and my brother haven't lived in the same city and then my mom and dad live, live in Memphis. So we do this little group family call every oh, week. That's cute. I like um, that. I should do that. And my mom, <laughs> <laughs> um, so my mom, who we always joke has this, um, divine vision or whatever, uh, it's like, so what if you just, what if you just keep doing that? What if you don't work for anybody? And I'm like, well, that's so outside of my scope. Um, she was like, I just want you to think about it. And so I started talking about it with, um, more of my friends, specifically one of my close friends, Chris Christian, who has been an entrepreneur for years now. Um, and was one of the people I was, I was helping out. Uh, and she was like, Ashley, I really think it's in you. Like, if you just prepare your leadership skills that you naturally have that you're doing for other companies and you put that with like your almost OCD organization, I think you could be, you know, you could really make a career out of this. Oh, um, okay. so yeah, I talked through 
with a few other people. And I'm like one of those people who needs to get all the boxes checked, ask all the questions. Um, and I think the, the selling point for me was like realizing, and which is what I think a lot of entrepreneurs are trying to help people realize it's really not that hard to start a business. Like you need an L-O-C-I-E-I-N and your business. And I didn't realize like, yes, there are other fees and other things with it, but it's really like, I had um, somebody develop a checklist for me, literally. And it was like no more than 10 things. And probably three of those things were like my website, which wasn't mandatory or like all these other little marketing or creative things I wanted. Um, so yeah, took the leap, didn't have a job at all. And uh, yeah, that's how GJC started. Wow. Well, congratulations on taking that leap of faith. And I want to make a point to say shout out to Chris Christian. She was a guest on season one, and I really appreciate the wealth of knowledge that she shared to our listeners. And one of the things that you just mentioned that she also has mentioned in uh, one of the articles she's written is doing business with friends. So let's talk about that. What would you say, um, to people that are interested in doing business with friends or um, close friends or family members? What what advice would you give to them? I would say for sure, first step before you even consider it is know you all's personalities. Like of my corporate friend group, they joke all the time about the fact that Chris Chris Christian and I still, she was one of my first clients and she still works with me to this day. And my friends who know both of us are like, it only will work between two you all, you all, because you have some personalities, you're very business focused, like you don't take things personally. Um, so I think first is being real with yourself. Uh, if your friendship or your cousin, whoever, if your relationship is already pretty tumultuous or y'all's personalities are already really different. I would advise you not to do it. It really is very personality based. Um, on the flip side, though, when you do agree to go in business with someone, um, treat it treat it like you treat any client. Um, I can say, you know, I'm not going to be like, oh, rates aren't negotiable. Yes, rates might may or not change. But the process, the process that you do with every client, you need to do with them so they can understand. Um, and some of it is for seriousness, but I realized though they're your friends, they probably don't know what you do for real, for real. So like my intake surveys, the contracts they sign, it gives them an opportunity to see what it's going to look like. Otherwise, you're also going to run into a whole lot of questions uh, that you would not have, have had if you took it seriously, you know, from junk. You're going to help yourself not have extra work and having to explain to them what you do or why you're doing something. Gotcha. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, you know, I do the exact same thing you do. I agree with kind of evaluating how your your relationship is with them as friends already. Um, and I think because I was right, I, I had a very unique childhood. So like I have contracts and agreements with my parents when we do business and they, but they started it. So it's not on me, it's all on them. So I kind of carried that into my friendships and that. So I kind of set that standard already. Um, and, but it, it actually works out 
much better in the end. So like the lines are very clear. And when you said about the process, I think that's important because if you don't follow your process, then you're going to, you know, you're going to mess up things. And, and really they take you more serious and they really respect you as a business person when they see, oh, she, she has her checks and balances taken care of. She has a process, her procedures, and she's really serious about this. And then that, that way they can't say, oh, this your little business. They can call it a little business when they see how real it is. So yeah, I think that's, that's very valuable. And I think it's important for people to hear that. So you, how did you end up coming back to Memphis though? Let's talk about that. You were in Seattle. What got you back to Memphis? Yes. So uh, in the continuation of the struggle story of being a full-time, first-time entrepreneur, um, I tell people this too, because people are like, uh, when you ask, people do ask the question, should how much, how long should I save money? When should I quit my job? Should I quit my job? Um, definitely would have prepared more than I did. But once I was in it, um, my trick to myself was remind, I went back to the brokest I've ever been, which was probably right after grad school. And I made, I pull I budgeted as if I was that person. Um, and that's why I tell people, I like, go back to the brokest you've ever been in your life. And whether you are that broke or not, when you're first starting out, like that's how you need to treat your budget. Um, with that, I also took on two part-time jobs that were, you know, mindless enough that I could do them, but, and also enjoyable. So like I worked at a spa and then I was an English tutor. Um, with all that though, um, it wasn't, it wasn't, um, necessary my streams of income. It was the ability to, um, locate streams of or how many streams of income I could have. I still was working with clients in Atlanta and Chicago. It wasn't like I was limiting myself but to Seattle, but Seattle is a very tech forward, um, almost socially awkward city. And people do business different ways, but the best way I do business is through networking and relationships. And it, I just kept hitting walls trying to find new clients um, because it's just not that type of, uh, you know, like a New York or a Chicago or Atlanta that it's easy to go out, meet somebody, exchange business cards, do business. It's just not like that in Seattle. For, number one, it's hard to meet people when you go out. Um, so all that said, simultaneously, I'm seeing, you know, articles pop up here now about Memphis being a, set, a place for entrepreneurs. By this point, I probably have five close friends from um, college who have moved back to the city. Um, and I knew I wanted to leave Seattle. Uh, I just didn't know where I wanted to go. So at first I wanted to stay on the West coast, started looking at that cost of living and that slowly fell down on the list. Um, and I think cost of living was finally the thing, um, that sold me on moving back to Memphis. I knew I could move back in with my parents. I knew I could save. I knew, um, when I was ready to move out, cost of living was going to be way lower. And I knew I had relationships in Memphis. That was like the biggest thing. If nothing else, I knew the events to go to. I knew the clubs to join. I knew, you know, the networks I needed to be in in Memphis were going to be easier than what I was doing in Seattle. Um, so that's that's how I made the move. It was probably a year after I started my company, maybe. Yeah, a year probably to date. I think I decided like Thanksgiving weekend um, and decided I was moving back and I moved back a month later for Christmas. 
Wow, that's awesome. You know, a lot of people are not able to handle a lot of major shifts, major relocation, because oftentimes I am asked how I'm able to move, you know, from me moving from um, Chattanooga to Atlanta, Atlanta to Dallas, Dallas to now D.C. I've, I've been asked that, but I operate under having a fear of loss. So my ambition is driven by the idea that I could miss out if I don't do something and if I don't execute so after leaving Seattle, coming back to Memphis, what are some of the lessons that you took from your experience and your time in Seattle that you can share with us today? Oh, so many. Um, I joke with people like Seattle was definitely a eat, love, pray type of year for me. Uh, probably the best year to be starting a business um, and getting in touch with uh myself i think because seattle is such a uh non-judgmental non-pretentious um city i a lot of the pressures of you know looking like you're in business versus being in business i didn't encounter in my first year like i didn't feel the need to put on pretensions if i didn't have the money i didn't have it if i my website didn't look like this. It didn't look like this. Like it was very authentic. I really learned about authenticity um, in Seattle. I would say um, also just like an appreciation um, for diversity and not pigeonholing yourself. Um, I think I explored a variety of opportunities and I didn't feel pressured also as a new entrepreneur to say, I only serve this market. I only do this thing. I only work with clients in this city. Um, I was just very open to whatever came my way. Um, and I think uh, what a lot of entrepreneurs face in terms of like burnout or just not being happy. I was because in my personal life, there was so much around me and so many people around me, especially again, working at the spa that centered on um, just being happy and like not being stressed. A lot of Seattle is very like anti-stress, anti-fast pace, anti overdoing anything. So early on, probably before my, or even my first year is up, there was a client, a contract, you know, within a lot of contracts, you can terminate the contract early. And I did that, um, before I even had a year in business with the client. And I probably would not have done that if I didn't have that overall focus on my Zen, you know, and <laughs> like what my experience was day to day. Um, I probably wouldn't have had the desired, I probably would have just pushed through if I wasn't in a climate that was very happiness, zen focused. I get it. That makes sense. So for you having, you know, moved around, really your business is kind of really, it's, it's really growing, um, um, you know, just from what I've seen at a rapid pace, what would you say has been your proudest moment to date? Proud is for sure. Um, this year, I was able to contract um, a junior writer on retainer, which was, um, you know, one of my, definitely one of my high business goals for um, this year, just because I am growing. And I did um, also full circle moment I mentioned I was going to bring back up. 
the company in Chicago that I worked for, they called me back last year um, with the offer to keep my company and help them out um, wow. with their marketing and their editorial. So with that new demand, yeah, with that new demand back on me, I was like, I definitely need help to do both. Um, so just the process, like just so many grat- so much gratitude in the entire process. Like I put out a LinkedIn ad, I got at least 50 applicants of all ages, all races. And I was like, you want to just, you want to go work for me? Um, so just go learning that process, you know, interviewing candidates. Um, I talked with other, some of my other entrepreneur friends, like the process of screening and, I didn't realize that was going to require confidence in me because I sent out like writing exercises and things that I would need. And I did have some candidates who were flat out like, oh, this is freelance work. I'm not going to do all that to apply for your little company, as you said. (laughs) So it was like, dang, am I doing too much with the exercise? Like, is it too much? And my friends like, no, like it's going to pay off in the end. You want a certain you know, caliber of, of a contractor to work with you, especially if they're going to be on retainer, like you're going to need them all the time. Um, So just finding that person and um, working with her and just having that experience of trying to do things differently than what I experienced. Um, Not that it was bad, not that it was care, not, you know, character building, but pay was really important for me because writing as a profession is, just period, not well paid, especially journalism where I started. Um, And I just did, I don't want to perpetuate that. Like if I can change the expectation on what you pay a writer and how you value a writer, I want to be a part of that. So I do, you know, I've started saying out loud, I know people don't like to discuss rates, that's taboo, but she's paid $20 an hour, which is what I started at with my company. So some will argue, you know, that's too much, that's a lot, but to me, that's livable. Like that should be the standard. Like I don't, I don't think that's an astronomical rate that I'm paying her. Um, so that's been the proudest moment. I would say definitely to date. First off, thank you so much for sharing that. It's super dope that you were able to hire, um, a black woman and just able to hire in general and to grow your business. But one of the things that I've been doing more in my corporate role being in HR, I've been really trying to push access and um, salary negotiations and things like that. And just being aware of the numbers of our counterparts um, from a recruiting and from an HR standpoint, you know, I've even interviewed a few people more recently and I had to stop in the middle of an interview to tell her, well, hold on. Because your number is too low. And at this point, I can't consider you because you don't value yourself enough because that's all that you're asking for. And by the end of the conversation, it ended up being a coaching session. She was so thankful and so grateful that I even said that to her. So I think it's very important for us to be more transparent when it comes to numbers because we don't know what we don't know. So thinking about building your team because you're going to continue to grow and build more. What? What are some of the non-negotiables for anyone that wants to join your team? Uh, For sure, variety of writing styles. Um, I think it's easy to get, especially for writers, to because you are an academic writer, because you are an English major in college, you have to have um, an ability to 
diversify how short or long you write, uh, change your, your tone for different audiences. Um, so that's definitely a non-negotiable. And I think you need to have, and this was what was told for me, and it's how I got into social media management. You need to have some kind of tertiary creative skill that connects to writing. So I got into social media because it was a way for me, you know, Twitter was really big when I was in journalism school and it was learning how to, to speak succinctly. Um, and that's how I got into social media, but I think graphic design or, um, strategy, or there's so many other ways to use storytelling that I think it's important. You can't just come in and say, I'm a writer. Um, that's not valuable to me. I need to be able to know how many platforms you can write on, what other ways I can utilize your writing and storytelling. Um, so I just think presenting, um, and I'm sorry, you said it earlier. When I present myself, I, I say I'm a storyteller first. And I think that's really important just for all people, entrepreneurs, individuals, whatever. Like I think it's really important to present yourself with an adjective or an adverb and not define yourself by a service or a market or, you know, one skill that you have. Absolutely. I completely agree. So, you know, for anyone listening, make sure you're able to really describe yourself as Ashley said. So for me, I tell people I'm an income strategist because for one, that usually piques their interest to ask me more. And then I can kind of tell them more about what I do, depending on who I'm speaking to is kind of how I tailor that conversation. So I do think that's very important. So that's good to hear. So what's some of the best, what's some of the best like sales advice that you have gotten that's worked for you that you could share with us? Oh, that's a tough one. Cause I always, you know, I'm quick to say I am not in sales. I'm in marketing, but, you are <laughs> um, but as an entrepreneur, I am, I know. And that is the struggle. Um, uh, <laughs> I think it goes back to the conversation we were having earlier. Don't be afraid to ask and don't be afraid to talk numbers. Like you'll never know where to price yourself. You're the, you'll never know how to sell yourself if you're not candid. Like, is my hourly rate too low or how high can I go on this? And yes, you can research and Google all you want. I do that as well. But you have to. And I think one of the big things and I had this conversation with uh, two other women um, different races, different age groups for me. And it's still, you know, different points in their entrepreneurial career, but all in communications. Um, and I think it's like, when it comes to sales, you have to find people you can come out of that competitive zone with and get a, a real read on, um, what people are offering as a service, uh, how they're packaging it. Like, are they, is it a la carte? Are they pairing that with somewhere, something else? Um, and then how they're pricing that. I think like candidness, especially for women, which is really hard, but you have to get comfortable um, just talking point blank as it is. Um, and I think also I've learned also really important going back to that friend conversation. Anytime you offer a discount, I put it in writing like whether you're a friend or not, just so you know, this is costing you this. It would have cost this to anybody else. Anybody else you share this, you know, refer me to know that this is this is what it costs. Like, I think that is also important. No, I get it. I understand for sure. So, like, 
you know, we like to keep it real, real on Cup of Grind, right? So how, tell me about like, what are some of the things that you have done um, that, where you've gotten in your own way? Oh, a couple of things. I think mm-hmm. it took me a long time. I don't know why this is to accept that what I do is a creative service. You know, it's not a, a hard science, which makes it, you know, even harder to define in business. Um, and I wouldn't give myself that freedom. I, I was very trying to be, I was very scientific about like what my day looked like and what time I had to start and what time I'm finished and checking off my list. And um, then you start, I started hearing other people be like, oh, well, you, you, why are you working on weekends? Like that's, you're going to burn out. And I think I listened so much to people telling me like what my work style is instead of just trying to figure it out myself. And I am finally three years in, still working on it a little bit. I do get self-conscious sometimes, but like I finally accepted like I work best at night. Literally when the sun goes down, I've been a night owl all my life. Like I should not, yes, I can correspond with people throughout, throughout the day. I should be available, but like the best time creatively for me is at night. And so, you know, having that caveat when I'm talking to clients, like if you get an email from me at 2.30, like don't feel don't feel compelled that it's urgent it's just that's when I work best um and that's when you'll probably be hearing from me um I think in addition one other thing I did despite everything I just said earlier in our conversation is I did try to pigeonhole myself to um I won't say a service a market I was definitely always like I can do I can write for any market or industry but I definitely went back and forth. I think when I first started, I was just, you know, a catch all for services. Oh, you need a project manager. That's me. Oh, you need a writer. That's me. Oh, you need a copy editor. That's me. I was just doing like all this random stuff. And then that burned out quickly and I stopped doing that. And so then I did this full drastic turnaround. I was like, I'm only going to write, like, don't ask me to distribute content. Don't ask me to design anything. Don't ask me to manage any people. Like, all he asked me to write the words. And then I was like, that is um, very narrow in terms of how much money I can make to be candid. <laughs> um, so now I'm like, and I feel really confident about, about this. Uh, I, and this is like in the last ooh, maybe three or four months, I found this sweet spot of, um, I can do full service. I would like my specialty is full service marketing for small businesses. And that's can be small businesses. You know, one person just started to seven people 20 years in, but still consider themselves a small business. And I just want to help small companies feel big. And I think I can do that through full service marketing. Second Mm -hmm. tier that is going back to being, you know, writing being my specialty Um, I'm very open to being subcontracted on bigger projects to do just writing. Um, And I think that was such a relief because, you know, there's all this pressure for RFPs and bidding on projects. And that takes a lot. Like being the project manager on a huge project like that takes a lot. Um, And I think I can finally say, like, I don't have to go after the uh, FedEx and the AutoZone and the Mercedes Benz. Like, if opportunity comes, yes, mm-hmm. but that's not um, my focus in my business strategy. I have another enough people who are, you know, scaled communications agencies have enough relationships where they can come to me and subcontract me to help them, um, you know, with one specific 
need. Absolutely. I know for me, 2019 has been all about delegating, 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 because um, I know that I have a tendency to try to do it all because I am capable and have the skill set to do it all. But I find myself getting burnt out easily. And so that was one of the main reasons why I thought it was really important for me to hire mm-hmm. you um, for the Auntie Roundtable project. Um, and as well as, you know, hired an admin and social media um, and graphic designer and videographer and all these other things that I may have normally tried to take on myself, but that's how you get burnt out. And you know what? I enjoy my sleep. I like to sleep at night. So I think it's very important to make note of that. So before we get out of here, I definitely want to make sure that everyone has a clear understanding of the services that you provide. So tell us more. Okay. So um, the rundown on GJC publicity. So people ask me this question all the time. What do you mean by why is publicity in your, in your in your company's name? Do you just be PR? Do PR? And the answer is no. I mean publicity in the in terms of general awareness and, and exposure uh, through storytelling. Um, so primary services are social media management, which is everything from um, copywriting to graphics design to photo and video sourcing. Um, to content distribution, to the strategy and themes you want to use on social media, to live engagement, uh, customer service kind of things. Um, also, website development. So the copy, again, the graphics, the images that go along with that. Um, email marketing, helping you, uh, again, development the content that goes out, but also manage your lists and come up with promotions and strategy behind that. Um then I also do book editing, um, PR, PR predominantly uh, being media relations. So um, press releases, media advisories, interview coaching. Um, what else am I missing? Also under PR, that can be a community engagement, uh, partner outreach, sponsorships, um, any kind of relationship or community engagement that you're looking for. Um, and last thing, which is a smaller service, but um, advertising um, in terms of uh, taglines, uh, scripting, um, a commercial, the, the scripting and production that goes behind that. Um, and then also it still falls under GJC, but I'd still do freelance as a journalist for different publications also. And what do you want to see happen in your business in the next year? Um, and for 2020, I think my, I'm still, you know, as I wrap up the year, I try to be as current as possible. Um, but I think for me, it's definitely going to be, and I know I'm kind of contradicting myself, but routine, and that's not for the sake of me, but more so for the sake of, um, now that I have other people helping me, um, I definitely want to develop, um, more strategic, uh, scheduling based around, you know, not somebody's working with me to do a website or somebody's working with me to do, uh, copywriting or graphic design, I want to also work in, you know, more mentoring. So what events can I go to with you? Uh, what other ways can you use me 
as a resource because I think in the companies that I have worked with, that's been my um, biggest takeaway is the intangibles, things that they probably didn't even realize I was teaching them. Um, and I think because all of my the people that work with me are contracted, it's easy to be disjointed or separated. So I'm definitely want to work on um, routines and kind of continuity culture type of things for next year. Awesome. What's up? So where can we find you on social media and the Internet? So for my company, I am on Facebook, LinkedIn and Twitter uh, at GJC Publicity. And then I have my personal Instagram at Ashley, which is A-S-H-L-E-I-D Williams. Thank you so much, Ashley. What an amazing conversation. I really appreciate you being on today. Until next time, get you a cup of grind. Are you done playing games and ready to get out of your own way? Good. Go to jadadavis.com today to join my village, download your free startup checklist, and schedule time to speak with me during a free strategy call or think tank. That's J-A-D-A-D-A-V-I-S.com. And as always, shut up, keep grinding.